All right. Good morning. I am glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. I get to be here with you today. Uh, this is actually part two in a four-part series called Papa's Vineyard. Um, sometimes I look at my life and I think to myself, man, is that all there is? Is that it? I mean, all at, at the end of the day, I, I just think, have I just lived my life for myself <laughs> and maybe at best for my family? Because I know, like we said last week, we said that God doesn't have me here for the purpose of making my dreams and my desires come true, or not even my dreams and desires for my family come true. Based on God's words that he's given us in Scripture, that Jesus, his plan for us, his purpose for us, his desire for us is much, much, much bigger than my plan for me, much bigger. But sometimes I look at my life and I'm just like, wow, I have really missed that point so many times in my life. And sometimes I look at my life and I say, I'm not sure that my life is what God wants for my life. And that has me sometimes frustrated. So I have been following Jesus now for many years. And sometimes I'm not sure if my life, even at this point, I'm not sure if my life is everything that God desires my life to be. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever come to that conclusion for yourself? Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. Maybe um, you just get to the point in your life where you feel like you're not producing what God desires. And maybe if your life is producing something, Maybe it doesn't feel like it's producing anything compared to what God wants to produce in and through your life. And as we realize that, man, that is so humbling. If you have ever come to that realization for yourself, it is really humbling. It is a, uh, a reality check for us. Because as we taught last week, God wants more for you. And he wants more for me. And he has planned more for all of us because his plan and what he desires and what he wants is what is going to bring him more and more and more glory. And if you're anything like me, maybe sometimes you feel like that the only thing your life is producing is just more and more and more guilt if you're anything like me. In fact, if you were here last week, you might have left thinking last week, well, I, I'm just a failure. <laughs> I have missed the boat. My basket in life, my basket is kind of empty in this life. Now, I promise you, that's not what we were trying to get you to feel last week. That was not our goal. That was not what we wanted to happen. But we know that producing fruit out of our lives is important to God. We know this. And it feels like sometimes I, and if you've ever felt this way too, sometimes it feels like that maybe we're going to show up at that final harvest with empty baskets as God looks at our lives. So with all of that said, I can say this next. But it gets worse. <laughs> it actually gets worse because while 
we are still carrying some of that shame because of maybe the lack of fruit that our lives have produced. Maybe we're carrying some shame from that. We hear Jesus say things like this. He says that he is the vine. We talked about that last week. And then to his followers, those who are actually following him, he also said that we are the branches that are connected to that vine. And then Jesus says something like this in John 15, 2. He says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he takes away. And we're thinking about this, and we're like, what? Wait, what? He takes it away? And some other translations actually use the phrase, he cuts off. In other words, it says, every branch of me that does not produce fruit, he cuts sounds scary to me. Some churches actually even teach that if you don't have fruit in your life, that Jesus will come along, the vine dresser, God will come along, and he will cut you off and throw you out cut you off and cut you out. And to me, I read that and I'm like, that is scary. That's one of those scary verses. Basically, what they teach is that you lose your salvation. Snip, you're gone. Too bad for you. You lose. So this morning, as we hit this section, because we're going to spend the month talking about this passage where Jesus describes himself as the vine and us as the branches. And this morning, I think we really need to understand what Jesus is saying right here. So let's focus on what we just read. Jesus said, every branch in me. So this is so important to understand. He's teaching and talking to and about here believers. So they are in me. That's what Jesus says. They're in me. And so if you are in Christ, that means that you believe in, you trust in, you rely on, you cling to, you have entrusted your life to the care and the control of Jesus. He says you are in me. And Jesus in this passage is saying that it is possible to be in Christ and produce no fruit for a season, for a season. We have to not forget that salvation is never a work on our part. It's not a work on our part. Salvation is not. Salvation is from God. It's not a work on our part. Paul reminds us of this when he comes to the uh, church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. In fact, I want to read that to you. He saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done, so none of us can boast about it. So salvation is from God. So if we are in Christ, this it is a, an amazing work of God. And he says it happens 
when you believe. And several series ago, we defined what that means, that word believe, rely on, cling to, trust in, and trust your life to the care and the control of Jesus, okay? And he says, if you've done that, then God miraculously places you in Christ. So before we jump into today's teaching, let's put all of this together. We just read that Jesus said in John 15, 2, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he takes away. And we said some translations say he cuts off. But within that very same thought, Jesus says this next in verse 3. He says, you are already clean because of what I have told you. Now, this gets a little confusing. So how is takes away from verse 2 related to being clean in verse 3? How are they related? And, and as well, then how is... Um, the, what is the relationship between clean, being clean and not having any fruit? So this is what we need to understand as we get started, and that's what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to attempt to figure out today. What's the connection between all of these? Before we get there, we have to start with a better understanding of one specific word. So we're going to have to jump into very quickly, so come with me here. We're going to jump into the Greek language, and we're going to understand one word. So first, we need a clear understanding, a clear translation of the Greek word used in verse 2. The word is, Jacob's going to have it on the screen, it's arrow. That's what was in John 15, 2, we just read. Our English word that was in this was takes away. Some people put in there cuts off. But there's actually two very clear understandings of this word. So many translations have used the word, the phrase takes away, cuts off. They've chosen that as their English word for this Greek word arrow. And I, I do want you to know that is one word. So that is a possible translation, okay? That's possible. But this translation cuts away, cuts off, takes away, does not make sense with the metaphor that Jesus is creating. And that leaves us some confusion because everything we've taught, been taught about salvation that is from God, not from us, it's a salvation that is eternal. It's a salvation that once he gives it to you and you receive it from him, he never takes it away. But yet if we translate this word cuts off, man, that's confusing. It doesn't fit with what we understand about God and salvation. So, there's a second understanding, translation of this word, 
in Greek, and it's, it's, you know how sometimes words in English have definition one and definition two and three when you look at Webster's Dictionary? Well, there's not a Webster's Dictionary for Greek words, but there are other dictionaries for Greek words. And as you look at those, there are, here's a meaning, here's a meaning, here's a meaning. So a legitimate translation. So what I'm giving you is not something I'm making up. It's a legitimate translation of this word. And the second translation of this word arrow can rightfully be translated as lifts up. Lifts up. Thank you, Jacob. Lifts up. To lift up, and pretty soon we're going to talk about clean up. So this literal translation actually fits the imagery of what Jesus is talking about. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Consider with me just a moment. Consider a young branch growing from the vine. And remember, as Jesus is, is talking to his uh, closest disciples right now, he's hours away from his death. He's on his way to the garden where he's going to be arrested. And he pauses in this vineyard to talk about this one last teaching he's prepared. So this is so important to his disciples. It's so important to Jesus that he pauses right before he hits the garden where he's going to be arrested. And he says, oh, yeah, let's stop here and teach about the vine, which is me, and the branch, if you're a follower of Jesus, he says, and his disciples most certainly were. You're connected to me. You're the branch connected to me, the vine. And now he said, if a vine, if a branch is not producing fruit, something happens. And it's this Greek word arrow, which we're going to translate as lifts up. So consider this young branch that's growing from the vine. Jesus is standing there. And he sees, and he's using this vineyard as a visual. And since the branch is connected to the vine, then we understand the gardener is not going to cut it off. It's connected to the vine. He's not going to disconnect the branch. And the series later, I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's next week or the last week, we're going to talk about some branches that were not connected to the vine. They were not connected, and they're laying on the ground, and they are dried up, and they're withering, and and Jesus is comparing those branches to people who are not connected to Jesus, who are not saved. And the difference is they're not connected to the vine. So they're laying there withered up, lifeless. They have no life going into them from the vine. And so they're gathered up, they're burned, they're thrown away. That's different. What Jesus is talking about here is connected to the vine. They're saved. This branch is connected. And so a more clear understanding of John 15 verse 2 would be to take up, to lift up. In other words, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. He lifts up. Now, 
this not only fits with the imagery that Jesus is teaching, it's not only specific to that, but it also fits with what Jesus teaches about the nature of salvation being eternal. There's a few other examples of this word, this Greek word, arrow, being used in the New Covenant. And I want to put a couple of those on the screen with the help of Jacob. One of those, when the disciples took up 12 baskets of food in Matthew after the miracle, they went back and collected and took up 12 baskets of food. They didn't cut off 12 baskets of food. They picked up 12 baskets of food. And then when Simon was forced to bear the, cro the, the, the cross of Jesus and carry that cross for Jesus for a while, he did not cut off the cross. Simon lifted it up and carried it, right? He didn't cut it away or take it away. He lifted it up. In John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, he called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the reality is, literally translated, John is lifting the sins off of the world, off of you and me, and they're placed upon Jesus. Jesus lifts the sins of the world off of the world. He picks them up. He didn't cut them off from us. He lifted them off from us and placed them upon himself. And even when you look in Scripture uh, throughout the New Testament, when you look at Greek literature, almost all the time when this word arrow is used, it does not mean cut off. It means to lift up, to pick up. So for us here, I, I can't answer why translators chose the version of the word that they chose when they legitimately could have used lift up when it so perfectly fits the picture of what Jesus is. We have no idea why. Because your vine dresser, who is God the Father, is not going to cut you off. Your vine dresser, the Father, is going to lean over and he's going to lift your branch up for a purpose. Because if you're more familiar with vineyards than I was, if you're more familiar with all of that process of being a vine dresser, then you know. You know the picture that Jesus is painting. In the vineyard, new branches have a tendency to grow down off of the vine. They grow down, and they have a tendency to trail along the ground. And down there, they don't bear fruit. Because the branches growing along the ground, they, they, the leaves on the branch gets coated in dust. It, it can't get sun. It gets dirty. And then the rain comes, and it gets muddy, and the mud gets caked onto the leaves. And they begin to mildew down on the ground, meaning that branch becomes useless. It becomes sick. So what do you do as a vine dresser? You don't cut off the branch and throw it away. No, a vine dresser goes 
And he does exactly what Jesus is talking about here. The gardener goes there and he takes the branch and he lifts it up out of the mud. And he begins the process of cleaning it off. And then he takes that branch, which he has lifted up and he has cleaned off, and then he weaves it into or ties it up to the trellis off of the ground where it can stay clean and it can get sun and it becomes healthy and it produces. So picture with me, Jesus teaching in that vineyard hours before he's going to be arrested. His death is coming. His time is short. It's nearing the end on this side of the cross. And now watch, in your mind, watch Jesus reach down in that vineyard and pick up a branch that has been growing along the ground. And he lifts it up. He cleans it off one leaf at a time. And he weaves it into the trellis. Do you see? Does that image become more clear? For the Christ follower, sin is the dirt that covers the branch. It covers the leaves. And because of sin in our lives, if we're following Jesus, um, for the branch, air can't get in, the light can't get to it. And in the believer's life following Jesus, if we're covered in sin, God's spirit can't work in our lives. And the result? Well, that branch, us, sadly, is going to have no fruit developed in their lives. And if no fruit develops in the life of a Christ follower, then we are not accomplishing God's desire for our lives. And that's a problem. So how does the gardener that Jesus is talking about, God the Father, how does the gardener go about in our lives today? How does he go about and fix this problem? How does he lift us up out of the mud and out of the misery? And how does he clean us off and clean us up so that our lives can begin to produce fruit? How does he do that? So that our lives, our basket, or our branch can be filled with fruit. Because deep down, I believe we all know this. Go to the mud, grow no fruit. But when lifted up and cleaned up, fruit can show up. Know this. How does the gardener accomplish this? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Bible calls this process of lifting up and cleaning up, calls it discipline. His purpose is to cleanse you and to cleanse me from sin. Yes, our sin has been forgiven, but even while we follow Jesus, we still struggle with sin. We still blow it. We still mess up. 
And so he's in the process of lifting us up, cleaning us off, okay? He doesn't do it to be mean. That's not what discipline is about. It's not because he wants to hurt us. That's not what discipline is about. He doesn't do it so he can say, I told you so. That's not what discipline is about. Because in the end, the discipline he's going to use is ultimately going to bring him glory. And the best news is, honestly, it's going to be the life that we want to live as well. Discipline is what happens when our loving Father steps in to lift us up and away from our own destructive, unfruitful pursuits. That's what discipline does. And we have heard about that for a long time. All the way back in Deuteronomy, um, Moses tells us in, in this. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy. He says, think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord, your God, disciplines you for your own good. He's talking to the Israelites here. Now, I want to be very, very clear before we move on. We all sin. And God's discipline normally focuses on something major that we're hanging on to some kind of sin problem that we're continuing to hang on to in one area specifically or more areas in our lives where we're saying, I'm going to take my plan, God, not your plan. I'm going to go my way, not your way. And that's when discipline begins to happen. The gardener is kind of confronting uh, uh, disciplining an area where we're refusing to stay out of the mud. And so the gardener comes in, and he lifts up, and he begins to clean off, all right? The end result is that branch, you and me, will begin to produce fruit. And the discipline ends when the problem ends. Discipline, we know this. It doesn't feel good in the moment. Not at all. We know this from being children, right? Children agree. It didn't, does not, discipline does not, we don't like it. And I, I promise you, I, I don't like it either. I'm an adult. I don't like it either. And because we know it's uncomfortable, that's probably why we spend so much time trying to avoid it. <laughs> Parents know this. Discipline feels Horrible, even as a parent who's in charge of the discipline. It feels horrible as a parent. But discipline always is proof of a committed love. And so to help us understand discipline, we're going to look at a passage in Hebrews this morning. Here's what it says, Hebrews chapter 5, 12, verse 5. My child... Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he, correct, when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. God always acts out of love. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So he's talking about disciplining believers, followers of Jesus. And he takes necessary measures to correct a Christ follower who actually isn't following in a specific area of their lives. 
just as a gardener, as Jesus is explaining, takes necessary steps, take a branch that is not producing fruit and help it to produce fruit. To get it up, what he says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, he says. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. And we know this as parents. Fellas, y'all are going to know this one day. We know this as parents. We know that discipline is a painful experience in life. And we know even in our own families that we have utilized discipline even with our own children. We know this. It's painful for the child. It's painful for the parent. Children don't understand this, but it is. We don't like putting you in timeout either. We don't like taking all you, we don't like taking all of your uh, electronics either. <laughs> we don't. Discipline is painful. But one reality is so many followers of Jesus spend their entire lives in discipline because of some kind of habit that they're refusing to let go, some kind of thing they're hanging on to and saying, I'm going to do this area of my life, Jesus, the way I want to do it, regardless of what you have said. And some of us, even as children, some of us growing up in our own homes, we experienced some discipline that was out of control, didn't we, humanly speaking? And if this is your story, and if I knew your story about the uncontrolled discipline that you lived through, I would probably be right there with you viewing this the same way you might be viewing this right now. But I want you to know this. Our Heavenly Father will never discipline you out of rage or selfish desire or out of control anger. Our Heavenly Father will never lose control, ever. Because God and his actions are always intended to nudge you lovingly, wisely, persistently toward his best you. And what he desires for you, which is amazing fruit in your lives. So let's jump back for a moment into the imagery that Jesus is using. The gardener has a life of abundant fruit. It's planned for that branch. We talked about it last week, joy and peace, all of these amazing things that he has planned for your future as a branch. And the gardener knows that as soon as he lifts that branch up out of the mud and he cleans it up, that that branch has everything it needs to thrive. And the intervention ends there. But discipline and correction, it's just one part of the relationship that we have with the gardener. Because there's another aspect to that, because the evil one wants to come along, and the evil one wants to convince you that because your heavenly father, that because he's doing that, that you are worthless, that you're an unlikable loser. And the opposite is true. 
He's actually doing that because he loves us. Verse 8 in Hebrews 12, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate. You're not really his child at all. So I want you to seriously consider something with me. A hard question. If you're a follower of Jesus, is your branch sick from running from God in a specific area of your life? instead of following him. I can't answer that for you. I'm not, I don't read your mail, and I don't have access to the inner workings of your life. I can only answer that question for myself. But it's a question we have to ask ourselves. And as a step this week, I'm wondering, would you join me in taking what we're calling the discipline test? I'm going to refer to it again at the end. So let me tell you what the discipline test is. And the test is, honestly, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then this is not your test. But I want you to know, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is part of following Jesus. We're not hiding this. We want you to know. All right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, here's the discipline test. Here's what we're talking about. If you're willing. Will you look back over your life, over your journey with Jesus, look back, and can you see very clearly that there were some sinful, muddy behaviors or habits or thoughts or, or patterns in your life very significantly that you used to be caught up in that you are no longer caught up in today? Are there thoughts? Are there attitudes? Are there habits that used to dominate your life and dominate your thoughts that do not dominate your life or your thoughts anymore? Because if you are moving forward in your relationship with Jesus, forward and upward, you are going to be able to look back of this year from January, just look back to January, and you're going to be able to see some change, some growth in your life this year. But if you can't, then there's a good chance that your basket right now is pretty empty, that your branch right now doesn't have the fruit that God desires. Now, that's significant. If that's the case for us, that we look back and we can't really see that, then it might be that we are living in a time in our own lives of discipline right now because we're hanging on to some type of mud. But to what degree? Verse 5 in Hebrews, he says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. And we understand this and we know this because to go to the mud, grow no fruit. But when lifted up and cleaned up, fruit will show up. 
So there are some degrees of discipline. Degrees of discipline, just like being a parent. God, as a parent for us, there are degrees of discipline. And here's the first degree of discipline. It's kind of what we could just call it a warning. Now, we, it, it's like when mom raises her eyebrow, right? You know what she's saying. It's when dad clears his throat, he's getting your attention. You know what he's saying. <laughs> There's something going on that needs to be corrected, something going on that needs to be changed. And that might be enough. A warning might be enough to get your attention. When I say that, fellas, on the front row, when I say that, does, do you have a certain image of an adult in your life? Do they have a certain way that they get your attention? Is it a look? <laughs> Is it a raised eyebrow? Is it sometimes they have to move from a look or a raised eyebrow? Sometimes they actually all three in a name, don't they? Do they ever call you by your middle name? All three names. I have four. That's even worse. Yeah, if they add every name in there, you know it's, this is serious. But it starts with a look, and then maybe if, if that doesn't get your attention, they call your name. If that doesn't get your attention, all the middle names come in there, right? We, we understand this. It progresses. It progresses. But if God can get our attention with a warning, then that's all we need. Hey, listen, when my dad gave me that look, I knew what was next. The look was good. It's all I needed. Got it, Dad. Got it. But sometimes the look's not enough, is it? Sometimes we don't choose to respond to the warning. But God is going to make himself heard. He can use many different ways. Um, he could use kind of the prick of your conscience, right? He can use that. That may be something he uses to get your attention. Um, he could use a timely word from somebody who's close to you. He could use a timely word from somebody who's not close to you. God is gracious, and he's going to use many, many, many different methods to get your attention as a warning. But if as his children, we choose to close our ears, then we force our Father to intensify the correction. Because go to the mud and grow no fruit. But when lifted up and cleaned up, fruit can show up. So he might have to move to discipline degree number two, which is from a warning to discipline. In verse 6, let me remind you, he said, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. This stage can be one of the most difficult to understand because this might, in your life, this discipline, it might feel like for you um, emotional anxiety. It could be frustration. It could be just kind of emotional distress over life. Um, Maybe for you, it's something that used to bring you joy when you did it, this whatever that mud was, but now suddenly it doesn't bring you as much joy. That could be the increase of discipline. You may be home to feel more pressures as they increase in your life or at work or at home or in your health or in your finances. 
discipline is kind of like, you know, it, it, it moves from the warning to time out. You know, you're being sent to your room without dinner. You're being separated. There, there's a, when, someone, when a child is sent to the room without dinner, it's not just that they're not getting dinner. They're being separated for a period of time from the family. The rest of the family is gathered, but the child that's being disciplined is off by itself. There's, there's a separation from the family. And in your life, you may be feeling a separation from the church family. You see, if this correction doesn't work, the unpleasant feelings increase. The discipline will increase. Many, many, many believers hang out in discipline their whole lives because they refuse to see it as discipline. Instead of seeing it as discipline, they, they get critical about the other followers of Jesus who are around them. They get critical and they get distanced from them. They get distanced from their Christ-following friends. They begin to feel on the outs with God. They feel that distance. Just picking up their Bible feels like lead weight instead of a welcome relief. Their relationship with God begins to feel sluggish and mired down or marred by sadness. And if this is you in your life right now, I, I've been there. I understand this feeling for me. If this is you in your life right now, I'm not telling you what you need is more church. You know, what I'm I hope that's a part of your journey with Jesus, but that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that not that you need a new Bible study or a better attitude as you open your Bible. If you're in this stage of discipline, what we need to do is look deeply into our lives for what we may be hanging on to and saying, no, Jesus, not this. You can have some other areas of my life, but not this area. And in that area is where our lives begin crusting over. Our leaves are getting muddy and mildewy and sick. Because if we don't respond, love is going to compel the Father to take more drastic measures because go to the mud and grow no fruit. But when lifted up and cleaned up, fruit will show up. And so if we don't pay attention while discipline is happening in our lives, well, at that moment, we he might need to move to degree number three, which is punishment, as the writer of Hebrews said in verse six, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. And that word punish, I know this is going to sound really, really harsh, but that word punish is the very same word that we would use for maybe like whip. It's the same word that was used to describe what happened to Jesus before he went to the cross, where he was whipped. It's the same word. It's not pretty. At this level of discipline, 
at this level, there is some kind of open sin in our life where we have deliberately said to God, I'm not going to follow you here. God, I'll let you have my Sundays. I might even go to small group, but God, don't mess with my dating life. Don't mess with my relationships. Don't mess with that. I'll follow you here and trust you on Sundays and trust you in small group. I'll even trust you at work and at school, maybe, but I'm not going to trust you to handle my dating life. That's for me. I'm going to hang on to that and do that the way I want to do it. Or God, I'm not going to trust you with whatever. I'm going to hang on to something and I'll let you have control here. You can have this but not this. Something we have hung on to. We didn't listen to the warning. We didn't listen to the unpleasantness, the emotional upset, the emotional upheaval during discipline. And so now the gardener has to resort to more intense pain to bring us to our senses. And listen, we all hate pain. We don't like pain. But it has a way of getting our attention, doesn't it? C.S. Lewis said this. He said that God whispers through pleasure, but he shouts through pain. And sometimes the father has to shout. God takes long-term sin very seriously, and he'll act. Paul said, this open grasp of sin and giving God the stiff arm is going to cause something else to happen in our life. Listen to why, and, and God takes this seriously. I, sometimes we just think, oh, you know, I, I can do what I want. God, God gave me the ability to choose, and I can just choose to do what I want. And there's no real, as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, listen, it's my choice. But God takes this so seriously. I, I want you to listen to something that Paul told the Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 30. And it was talking about them holding on to a specific sin. And here's what he said. That is why many of you are weak and sick and have even died. Now listen, he's not talking about a physical consequence to some kind of physical sin. In other words, you ate that and you got sick. Or you did that, you know you shouldn't have done it, it's bad for your health and you end up dying. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about there's some, in this specific instance, there's some of you, he's saying, in this church who have gotten sick and weak and even died because you have hung on to some kind of sin. He's saying God takes it seriously. It sound, that sounds like Old Covenant, Old Testament judgment, right? God like is like, okay, you're going to do that? Well, 
and people died. But this is not in the old covenant. This is in the new covenant, but yet it's the same kind of reaction. But let me give you a word of caution. This caution is so, so important. Don't miss this. God is not going to hurt innocent people to discipline someone else's sin. In other words, like, your your grandma is not going to get cancer because of your choice to, to hang on to a sin. He's not going to punish your grandma for your sin. It's important for us to understand. And this is also important to understand because not everything that happens to us that revolves around getting sick or something bad happening to us or even death. Not all of that is punishment. In fact, I would say most of it is not. So don't misunderstand Scripture to think that every time something happens to you that God somehow is angry or upset with you because you didn't listen to him and so something is happening to that. That's not what he's saying either. Because we live in a sick and broken and dying world, and because of that, we are in a process of decay. Our bodies, from the moment we're born, begin to decay and begin to move towards death from the moment we're born. But what I want you to understand is that while not everything that happens to us is God's punishment, I want you to understand that God does take sin seriously. And when we hang on to a sin and we tell God, no, I'm going to hang on to this, and I'm telling you no, that God takes it seriously, and he will ramp up discipline in our lives if we are doing that, if we're hanging on to a sin. So with these two cautions in mind, we want you to take seriously the warnings in Scripture. And we all struggle in different ways. Everyone's story this morning is different. And I want you to know very clearly, the only reason I'm standing elevated in this room is not anything to do with my position or who I am or how, none of that. It's only so that you can literally see me better because I, we, as followers of Jesus, are all in the same plane. This is not elevated for importance simply so you can hear the teaching of the word. That's it. That's the only reason. So what are we going to do now? What are we going to do with this information? Well, here's what I want to ask you to do today. Is I'm going to ask you to take that discipline test where you look back at your life. Don't even go all the way back. Just look at the past year. Look at your life. Look for things that you held on to that were muddy that you have turned loose of. 
as God has lifted you up and out of that mud and began to clean your life off. Just look, just look at the past year. Take that test with us. Take the discipline test. And if you find something in your life, if you identify a lack of fruit in your life, if you identify that, a lack of growth, a lack of fruit, I want to say, don't, don't sweat it. It's, this is not an emergency. There's something we can do next. There's a word in the Bible that means a hope-filled change of direction, and that word is called repentance. And repentance is turning away from that sin, that muddy thing we've been holding on to, and turning to God turning away from that and turning to God. It's a change of direction. It's a change of mind, a change of thinking. Repentance is turning away from that sin and turning to God. And that repentance is you and me responding to God's discipline. And when we respond, there are immediate benefits, immediately. We not only escape the sin, but we immediately begin to grow in our maturity. And yet, we have to understand this. Repentance is something that happens at the very beginning when you begin following Jesus. It happens that one time. But then repentance is an attitude, something we carry with us all the time as we follow Jesus. It's a lifestyle of repentance. It is ongoing all the time. It's a commitment to continue putting aside my rebellion, to continue to let go of whatever I'm holding on to, to continue to say, not my way, God, but your way in this. And when we come to the next thing I've been holding on to, it's again, repenting, not my way, God, but your way in this. And each day we're inviting God and giving him permission to lift us up and clean us off and weave us through the trellis in life. And he does that through discipline. And each day we say, God, you have permission to lift me up and to clean me off. He's going to do it with or without our permission. But the attitude of repentance says, okay, God, I'm going to respond to you as soon as I can. I'm going to respond to you quickly. And that process is going to move us from empty baskets to baskets full of his fruit, from an empty branch to a branch that is full of his fruit because we're attached to the vine. And we know, go to the mud and grow no fruit. But when lifted up and cleaned up, fruit will show up. So this week, if you're willing, will you take that discipline test with me? And then as you take that test, will you just talk to God about your choices? Talk to God about what you're hanging on to? Talk to God about where you have been slow to let him influence you in a specific area of your life. And I would add one more thing to this. As you have these conversations with God, I would encourage you this week to read through Colossians chapters 1 and Colossians chapter 3. 
We're going to talk more about that specifically on week number four of this series. We're the branch. If you're following Jesus, that means you're the branch. You are connected to the vine. And you are there for the purpose of bearing much fruit. And nothing in this life is going to bring you more satisfaction, more lasting joy than bearing fruit. Because doing that is fulfilling the purpose that God has you here for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I understand that in my life and in the lives of so many of us, that there has been sin affecting our lives, held on to. And it's been affecting our lives. It's been keeping us from producing the fruit that you value so much. And God, I see that you have at many times been lovingly disciplining me to bring me back to that point of abundance. So God, please forgive me for choosing my own way. And God, I and I pray that many of my friends here today are choosing to submit our whole heart to your authority to turn from our sin, to turn to you so that we can again bear fruit for you. From now on, may we respond to your discipline quickly because we trust in your goodness, Father. Teach us to obey you, Lord. Fill our heart with great anticipation for the lasting harvest that you want to accomplish in our lives Thank you, Jesus. Will you make it so? We pray these things in your name. Amen.